Hello, it's Friday the 25th of August. I'm Gary Bowerman. On today's show, I'll be discussing fine food and travel with Lisa Tyler and Darren Teo, co-founders of the Kita Food Festival here in Malaysia and Singapore. So let's get started. This is the Southeast Asia Travel Show. Hello, wherever you are in the world, and thanks for listening in. So I'm delighted to be joined today by the co-founders of the Kita Food Festival. Lisa Tyler is a Malaysia-based food and travel journalist and founder of Weeds and More. And Darren Teo is head chef of one Michelin-starred Duwakan restaurant here in Kuala Lumpur. So firstly, Lisa and Darren, thanks so much for coming on the Southeast Asia Travel Show. How are you doing today? And where are you both right now? Uh, good. Thanks for having us. Um, I'm in Tasmania, southern Australia. How's it down there? It's winter, right? It's winter, but it's um, surprisingly warm. It's like, um, yeah, late spring. It feels that way. Beautiful place to be hanging out. And Darren? Hi, thanks for having Um Well, I'm in Petaling Jaya. Sitting at home. Sitting at home here in Malaysia. So anyway, thanks both for joining us. We have a, a transcontinental show today. Um, let's do some, some introductions quickly about background. So Lisa, you are a travel and food journalist. You came to Malaysia many years ago. Um, what brought you here and, and why did you stay? Um, I first came, well, we, we moved there in 2010. I lived in Bangkok for 10 years prior to that and my husband was in Berlin and we actually commuted for four years. Uh, we decided to live in the same country as each other. And, um, and when we were coming back to, to Bangkok, there were riots in the centre of, oh, sorry, we were going back to Bangkok and there were riots in the centre of Bangkok, um, as you recall, the red shirts and yellow shirts, and we weren't able to, to go to the country. So we ended up going to Penang where my friend Narelle had uh, an apartment on Armenian Street and we moved there and we just never left. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting place. I lived in Penang for one year and then I got dragged kicking and screaming really back to KL, but I, I did love living in Penang. It's a beautiful place. So tell us about Weeds and More, one of your projects. That's pretty interesting. What's, uh, what's the derivation of that and, and who are your customers? Uh, so we, we started Weeds and More, um, it was an experiment to begin with, um, in about 2012. I had been doing a lot of work in Singapore, um, restaurants. I used to, used to work with the world's 50 best restaurants and then we launched Asia's 50 best. Um, so prior to that, I was in Singapore a lot doing research as to how we were going to present the list and what we were going to do. Um, and I was struck by how much product restaurants and hotels were flying in from around the world. Um, they had enormous carbon footprints, these restaurants, and nobody seemed to be, you know, like doing anything local. Coming from Bangkok where there was a very strong lock of war movement, um, Malaysia and Singapore seemed to have absolutely nothing. Like everything got ordered in from overseas and, and arrived on a jet plane. Um, obviously, it wasn't very fresh. It was extremely expensive, and the carbon miles were phenomenal. Not to mention, it didn't really help anybody locally. So we decided to um, to give farming a go, and we went up to Cameron Highlands and we found an organic farmer 
that we liked and trusted and we embarked on a, a project of essentially planting seed to see what would come up and what wouldn't. Um, and we had a lot of failure, and but we had some success, which kind of egged us on a bit. Yeah, and that was 2012. So now we've been, the company's been running for what, 11 years. We supply to um, hotels and restaurants in Singapore, Malaysia, uh, so in Kuala Lumpur and Penang and Ipoh. Uh, we grow mainly a lot of heirloom products, so vegetables like that derive from old seed or heritage seed and a lot of edible flowers and garnish leaves and that sort of stuff. Great stuff. And, and the subject of provenance of ingredients in Malaysia, I'm starting to gain an understanding of your connection with Darren. Darren, you're head chef at Dua Cam, which is one of Malaysia's most celebrated restaurants. Uh, you earned a place, uh, I think you were the first Malaysian restaurant to earn a place in Asia's top 50 restaurants list. And you since earned a Michelin star. Congratulations for that. Tell us a little bit about your culinary roots, Darren, and, and the Dua Khan journey. Thank you. Uh, well, Dua Khan really just started off as, as a, uh, an answer to a gap. And I think, like Lisa, um, in my career, I've seen the emphasis on um, products and ingredients that have been flown from miles, miles, and miles away. And... and and although it didn't come from a sustainability sort of angle at first, it really was. Why are we serving sub substandard product um, when there is so much to explore um, in our own backyards? And so it started off with uh, with local seafood, and I mean, and because we have such great access to it, we uh, started honing into um, really really good quality seafood and then and then the discovery led us to like also let's check out what's what's being grown around and and from being grown around we started we decided to start looking at at the resources that we get from our jungles and that narrative continued to build um and at that point i felt it was time to put this this sort of like notion to the test and that's how Dewakan kind of like opened and started. And um, our, I mean, our first location if, is, as we were talking about earlier, was in a university and the university was our our backer actually. They were, they were our largest shareholder. And that was interesting because there isn't a model like that before. Um, it posed a couple of challenges, especially in terms of location and we felt as we grew and we realized that we have outgrown this current space that we were in, we started looking at new options and we moved to the city. The hospitality industry in general, not, not chefs, of course, but the hospitality industry does like to have labels. How would you describe your food? Food? Would you say it's modern Malaysian cuisine? I think in the beginning, that was what I used to refer to it as. I, I used to call it modern Malaysian simply because I, I, don't, I don't think there's like a... There isn't, there isn't a, a label that I can think of that aptly suits it. Um, however, whenever I speak about the cuisine, we always say it's really just ingredients-based. And, and because that in itself poses such a, a large conversation in the terms of, especially with the biodiversity this, this country has, or at least this region has. So there's always just something new to discover, always something new to, to, to try and put onto a menu and, 
and just being confined by the idea of tradition or culture um, only seems to be not as interesting as um, the, the diversity of the ingredients. Just a couple of days ago, we were at the uh, Horizons program Big Day Out, and we were at Ning's Farm, who is the owner-proprietor of uh, Chocolate Concierge. She's also the head chocolatier. Um, and we were taking a walk around his property, and there were these um, large pomelo-sized uh, fruit that were hanging from vines uh, quite high up the trees. And we will, you know, I've seen them. I've seen them before, but I've never had the opportunity to try them. And I said, "Hey, okay, that looks like shampoo fruit." And uh, this, and I, and I know very little about it. We had a short discussion. I mean, like, Ning and I were talking about it very, very briefly. Um, and then Ning manages to bring down that fruit and gets it identified by someone. And, and it turns out that it, the seed of that fruit is quite, is quite edible and it's supposed to resemble, uh, or, or at least in his, in his words, it resembles some sort of like bacon because of its fattiness. So, you know, I mean, we don't have to think of, I mean, just, just from the ingredients standpoint, um, uh, the proposition of the restaurant is quite interesting. And to put a label on it onto it often tends to confine it to something. Yeah, I would agree with that. So we'll come on to the Kita Food Festival, which you both co-founded in a moment. But before we do, I just want to briefly talk about restaurants and awards. Lisa, you said that you worked for the Asia's Top 50 Restaurants uh, Awards program. Darren, you've, you were part of that. You've now got a Michelin star. Um, how do you feel about restaurant awards and categorizations in general? I mean, it, it's a very big thing in, in Asia right now. You know, every city, every country is trying to get a Michelin star guide. Sort of helps, I guess, in a way, culinary tourism. Uh, what's your view from, from a restaurant industry side? Um, not very much. Um, I, I don't particularly believe in it. I think it is, it's it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, um, things like 50 Best. And Michelin operates a little bit differently, but 50 Best, once you get into the list, then, you know, like it becomes, that's, it, it, it kind of perpetuates this, this, this fame or whatever. And there's a lot of restaurants who don't get in there, but they're much better than ones that do get in there. Um, Michelin is, is a little bit the same for me in the way that um, there are a huge number of really great restaurants in Malaysia, but they don't get any airtime. And if you think about it, Michelin, I mean, 50 Bats is they, they, they come announced. They, you know who they are. Um, everything's kind of quite showy. Um, Michelin go unannounced and they pay their own way and they, they have to, you know, try uh, or their inspectors have to try a restaurant three times before they're allowed to make a judgment call on that. Now, how can inspectors go around to each restaurant in Kuala Lumpur three times? A, you would have to be very hungry and you would have to have a massive budget. So there's only a certain number of restaurants which then get reviewed or put into classification. And there's a lot and I can think of a bunch off the top of my head who don't actually make it. So then it's it, it's not fair, is it? It's not it's not um, what's the word? It's not very objective at the end of the day. Yeah, Darren. I struggled with this when we we got announced as the best restaurant in Malaysia, 
I, I can think of many restaurants that are better than ours and uh, that, I, that I would very, very much prefer to be eating at. So how, how do you say what's the best restaurant, right? Like, how do you say, how do you, how do you quantify that? And, and, mm. and I think, I think that it's, uh, I think it's really difficult to do. Um, but it's also, if I put myself in their shoes, it's also a very difficult road to, to walk on. So I, I, I don't have, I don't have much of a feeling towards it as much as I say it's a business tool. I think from a from a restaurant perspective, it helps yeah. with um, your branding. It helps with like gaining uh, customer um, confidence. Uh, it helps to get one feet into the door for the guests. You know, what I mean, it, 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 it's easier. It's easier for them to to put that foot forward. Um, especially a restaurant like ours, uh, which 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 isn't by any chance. Um, uh, a very regular restaurant in terms of the food. Um, it helps to 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 put it forward. Having said that, I I, I think that the 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 stand should always be that it's a business tool, and it shouldn't be any way uh, a way to to how do I say this, Lisa? Like it shouldn't be a way to to grade, or it shouldn't be a way to um, um, rank. A restaurant yeah i guess rank is the best word yeah. i mean people use it as a bible it's the be all and end all and it can make and break restaurants and that that is essentially wrong we have friends lisa and i have friends who are these wonderful amazing restaurants in in, in an otherwise desolate place for food um and and you know they don't get the time of the day um simply because the location isn't a well-visited location. It's like Kuala Lumpur. Like I feel that could there are so many other restaurants that that should be listed on the list, but because it isn't a an attractive enough tourism place or it's not an attractive enough place to visit, it doesn't allow within the structures of how they are uh, graded to be graded. Let's move on to the the Kita Food Festival itself, Kita. Is a Malay word. It means us or we. Tell us where and when you conceived this concept of a food festival here in Malaysia and also in Singapore. What were the objectives? I don't know. I think it was sitting in the foyer of the Sofitel Damansara one day, Darren. Is that right? Yeah. I, I remember one of the first times I met Darren and we, we sat in the foyer of a hotel and talked for, oh, heavens, <laughs> a really, really long time. Which I think turned out to be about two and a half to three hours with with Lisa's husband waiting in the room. <laughs> Probably not too interest, not too not too happy with me. And that was when was that before the pandemic that you you had the idea? Yes, yes, we, we registered Kisser in twenty nineteen, Darren and I. Um, but we had the idea many years before, and I think it we never kind of cemented what we wanted to do. But the idea was to try and build a platform to discuss the evolution, I guess, if you like, of, you know, like food in Malaysia. Um, endemic ingredients has always been very close to our hearts, as you know. Um, sourcing locally, giving producers a, a, um, a boost, you know, like shining a spotlight on all of the really good producers in Malaysia 
um, giving a boost to the young chefs because there are a lot of really young chefs who are doing extraordinary things. Um, but putting them into the spotlight so they they get recognised, you know, giving the industry itself a, a boost. And look, the, the industry started changing long before, you know, we, we launched Kita. Um, and I think the idea behind Kita really was just to give it a nudge to keep pushing it along. And, and, and also I think that because we were at this position or this time where where things were getting exciting, it it was really easy for everyone to keep their head down and you know be on one track and and, and you know try and achieve what it is that they were trying to achieve. I think Kita really came about so that we could build the right kind of community with these chefs and with these restaurateurs and with the the people who work in the front house and and the producers and everybody that's kind of like related. And that's why that's why we used the word Kita because it meant us. And us didn't really have a uh, a line, right? So, so Lisa, Lisa is on the agricultural farming end of, of things. I'm on the restaurant side of things, and that's just that's just us. And there are so many other aspects to the to the to to the whole industry. The people who build kitchens, provide equipments, people who who do coffee, people who do wine, people who do you know zero zero alcohol beverages. It, it, there was a, there is a space for everyone in the festival. So I'm, I'm intrigued about the four different locations that you've got for this year's festival. You've got three in Malaysia, Kuching, Penang, and Kuala Lumpur, and also Singapore. From looking through the, the website, it, it looks as though you blend having restaurants that are working in those cities with guest chefs coming from around the region. Um, so let's, let's go through those, uh, those destinations one by one. The, the festival kicks off in Kuching in Sarawak on the island of Borneo. Um, tell us a little bit about that, that as a food destination and why you decided to, to start the festival there. I guess Borneo is, is, kind of, is one of the richest biodiversities on earth and I think there's so much there that we don't know about or isn't really documented or isn't really, you know, celebrated. Um, so doing festivals in Borneo is one of our really long-term goals. Um, the opportunity came up to, to do something small in Kuching, so, you know, we took it. And hopefully in, in years to come we can start developing that um, a bit more and doing more stuff there. We've always looked out for the opportunity to do something in Borneo. Um, for the past two the past two festivals previous to this, we, we've, we've said, like, okay, what, what about? What about Kuching? What about KK? We should be doing something there, but and we have we have contacts there. We have some people there, but you know it, it because of all the other um, things that needed our attention, we never managed to pull something off. This time around, an opportunity came up, and we said like it's now or never. We should do this, um, and we don't want to exclude uh, our friends in in the in Borneo uh, from from the festival. So the roadshow then moves on to Penang. That's a prized culinary destination for Malaysians. You've got a few events going on in the city. Um, tell us a bit more about what, what the, pro, the program will, will include there. So we have, um, we have a couple of chefs coming in from overseas. Um, so we have Vaughan Mabee coming to, to cook with uh, Kim Hock at Orjadan. And then we have 
um, Hans Christian, who will be working at, who'll be cooking at Gin, and then we have communal tables. So that'll be a kitchen takeover, which will be Malcolm Lee from Singapore. And then we have the, the, the Great Meze. So I guess you could look at Kisa as being a series of modules. Like we have several different modules. One of them is um, dining events where we bring chefs in from overseas and we get them to cook with local um, chefs. Another one is these communal cook-ups. And so we have in Kuala Lumpur, we have barbecue. Um, and in Penang, we have Meze. And in Singapore this year, we have barbecue as well. And then the last, well, the, the last consumable element is um, conversations. And these are, conversations is something that I, get, I guess this is our, our primary goal, Darren and my primary goal. And conversations is about, you know, getting, getting people in um, from around the region and around the world, food thinkers to talk about food uh, relevant to Southeast Asia. So then the last module we have is, is Horizons, and Horizons is not open to the public, so it's only for, um, for selected guests, uh, selected chefs, young chefs. Yeah, so, so in Penang we have three dinners, one kitchen takeover, um, two forehand dinners, and then we have the Great Meze. So that's the, we have eight chefs, four chefs coming in from Singapore, um, four local chefs, and they all cook together in China House. Okay, we'll come on to Singapore and Kale in a minute. D Darren, I've just got a quick question for you. In terms of the, the structure of this, this festival, we've talked about who the chefs are that, and the, the supply side. What about the customer side? Who are you targeting? Are you targeting local resident diners, tourists? You know, who, who comes to Kita Food Festival? Um, okay, so I think there are a few tiers to this. The first and the most immediate yeah, and and, uh, you, and probably the lowest hanging fruit are, are regular guests at the host restaurants themselves. Uh, we, we see it as an opportunity for host restaurants to, to, um, to, for partnering restaurants to reach out to their current clientele, their current uh, regular guest clientele, and say, hey, we've got something special that's going on, and uh, it's out of the, it's not it's out of the ordinary. We like you to you have we like you to have first dibs. On getting reservations and and from that probably maybe about 50 to 60 percent might fill up um, and then we open it out to the public there are a lot of people who are aspiring to to get into this sort of like gastronomic scene um, and we hope also for uh, from people from our neighboring countries of Singapore and Thailand to see it as an opportunity to come down to the city to the city in KL and Penang mm -hmm. okay so we've done Kuching, we've done Penang. Next on to Singapore. You've got seven events there, I think. Singapore, a major international destination. Where does that fit into the Kita Food Festival? Uh, we were approached by the government at the end of Kita last year um, who suggested it might be nice to, to hold something similar in Singapore. Specifically, I mean, they are, they are interested in the dinners, but they're also very interested in conversations. So this platform of, you know, like food thinking, um, food philosophy, um, addressing things like food security and sustainability. So we went down the path of um, partnering with them and we'll be doing the, that's how Singapore came about this year. So next year we'll be moving the whole, the, the main festival to Singapore. 
And, so and then f- having pop-ups in Malaysia. Right. And so finally, to the Malaysian capital, Kuala Lumpur. Darren, that's your home. I think there are eight events uh, being hosted, including at your restaurant, Dua Khan. Um, what are the highlights and, and why have you saved KL until last? Okay, so the highlights besides the dinners, I think will be the barbecue this year. Um, the barbecue, we are also bringing in chefs from Singapore to partner with local chefs. Um, and so these are the young and talented new ones that are coming up. And, and I think the barbecue as a communal dining experience uh, is, is probably something that's not often had and of, not often re- um, associated with um, dining, in, dining in the city. Um, we wanted to make a, a really convivial, enjoyable uh, event where things are a little bit more laid back, a little bit more uh, relaxed, and you have a lot of drinks, see friends, eat good food. And, and we wanted to make sure that, that this extended also to, to the chefs. So the, chef, so, so the barbecue became the, most, the easiest format for everyone to have like, a, a good time. Uh, I think the barbecues is definitely a highlight. I also think conversations uh, this year, which will be held in the PJ Pack, will be an extremely exciting one for us. Um, simply because there isn't enough conversation that surrounds what's happening in the food industry and in in our country. And and I, I don't I don't just mean restaurants and I don't just mean like retail but I think like we haven't talked we don't talk about food security we don't talk about um, the amount of exports that we are bringing in I mean for a country that's supposed to have been known for rice rice is one of our biggest uh, imports sorry not exports but imports conversation that just seems to be lacking and not not just with like the average guy on the street but also within the industry um we do see it picking up a little bit and there is some traction and that's given us confidence to put together conversations. And if and our, Lisa and I both feel that as long as we are able to have these conversations and start these conversations, it, it, will, it will spread and hopefully it'll start to, to get people to change um, buying behaviors. Yeah, that's fascinating, looking at the different perspectives around this, um, particularly from an industry side and also from a consumer side. I think this is the third year that you've hosted the festival. It's got bigger each year. And as you say, this year involves Singapore. Lisa, you were mentioning there that next year, you know, you're already thinking ahead about what the program will be next year. I mean, are there more things that you still want to do? I mean, where could you take it in future? Oh, there's a huge number of things we'd like to do. Um, We'd like to make it more accessible, so cheaper price point, entry point, um, so more people can participate. I mean, I would love to start doing, you know, like food camps where we, we take a bunch of chefs up to, you know, up the Rajang River in Sarawak perhaps and look at endemic ingredients and how we can use these and, and you know, like document them, incorporate them. So turning it into more of a, a media company as well as a festival company so i think that there's there's a there's a lot we could do there's really really a lot we could do and it's just the beginning i mean we i guess when we started we probably didn't think we would get it this far so (laughs) we're just kind of um catching up and and you know like trying to 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 drive it in a direction that we want to see things achieved and 
I mean, it's, financially, it's it it is a bit of a struggle. So that's one thing that we we are addressing now is how to make it financially viable. And obviously, you know, it it would be a lovely world if if money wasn't the be all and don't end all. But sadly, you know, like it, these sorts of festivals do cost money to run. Um, so we need to make it financially viable and stable. So, but yeah, there's a huge number of things that I would like to do. And Darren, is is the intention to keep it Singapore and Malaysia, or would you spread the roots further around Southeast Asia? I think the narrative now is that it is a Southeast Asian festival. It's it's a it's it will be a mouthpiece for us to develop that that vocabulary that surrounds Southeast Asian cooking, Southeast Asian food culture and the way moving forward for Southeast Asian restaurants. I feel there's so much of potential in this legion of young cooks that are coming up and, you know, there's so much ambition, there's so much drive. Um, Kita could serve as a, as a catalyst for a lot of these things. Um, one of the other things that we were talking about, wishfully, between Lisa and I was to sort of like set up a scholarship where we'd be able to, you know, be able to, to help a, a young chef's career um, by, you know, maybe a, a bit of a grant money to put them into uh, as a, as a st- uh, paid stage in, in a restaurant in Southeast Asia that's doing really, really well um, to give them some sort of education, to give them a pedestal to stand on and so that they can, they can get their voice heard. Um, I think we believe that the future is in is is, is in these young chefs, um, and we want to make sure that that they do not get convoluted by by the the glitz and glamour. I guess if you want to say it that way, um, that surrounds that surrounds the chef idol industry at this point. Darren and Lisa, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Some fascinating insights. There's so many points that we could pick up with. We could probably talk for a couple more hours. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to talk uh, maybe next year before next year's festival about some of the, the interesting issues that you've talked there, particularly about sustainability, food security, those kinds of things. Just before we finish up, can you tell our listeners around the world how they can find out more about the festival and when does it actually take place? Okay, so so um, they can find out more about the festival on our website, which is www.kitafoodfestival.com. Um, the festival starts in Kuching on September 27. Penang runs from the 13th of October through to the 16th. Singapore runs from the 19th of October through to the 23rd. And Kuala Lumpur runs from the 26th of October through to the 30th. Fascinating. Wish you both the very best of luck with it and look forward to hearing more. Thanks, Darren. Thanks, Lisa. So that brings the show to a close for this week. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. And don't forget to send us your thoughts and your comments on anything I discussed with Lisa and Darren or anything that we missed out. Drop us a message on our LinkedIn page, the Southeast Asia Travel Show. As always, you can catch up with the Southeast Asia Travel Show's full back catalogue on our website, theseasiatravelshow.com, and you can find us on any international podcast platform. So that's a wrap for today, but Hannah and I will be back next week to review the top travel and tourism talking points in Southeast Asia 
from the month of August. See you next time.